Hey, it's Jackie. Welcome to my series on friendship, where once again I tackle the question, can men and women be friends? And in this episode, I'm talking with several of my Northern Seminary colleagues. And I guess if I'm honest, I wanted to share with you the pain that surrounds this question for those of us who serve in ministry. I mean, you may not be aware, but your faith community organizes itself around this question. But I also wanted you to hear what happens, this holy, redemptive, sacred thing that can occur when we reject the danger romance narrative and embrace Jesus's better story. So get ready, because you're about to hear how Jesus brought life from death. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. All right, so I am here with all of my colleagues from Northern Seminary. And this past August, we all attended a, an intensive up in the Chicago area. It's just this week-long, massive, all-day-long study. And so a bunch of us girls got a VRBO, and a bunch of guys got a VRBO. And we drove into Monday's class. I, I call it the woman's bus. And then we had the man's bus. And we arrived there. And I looked around, and I thought, uh, we're going to have to break this open and, uh, you know, because we can't have the boys all on one side of the class and the girls all on the other side. So I think I walked up to Justin. I think that's who I went to, but I'm not quite sure. Um, and I said, hey, the girl bus was wondering if the boy bus might want to come on over for dinner or we could come over to your place, whatever. And uh, so that was kind of how this whole thing that occurred that week started. So, Justin, maybe you want to take it from there and tell us. What your perception of that week was with us women? Oh, sure, yeah. So when when you said Jackie, the the boy bus, we were we weren't just staying together on the Airbnb. We've been a cohort, um, the New Testament twenty twenty cohort at Northern, uh, and uh, for now two. I guess if it started in August of twenty twenty, that's two and a half, almost three years. Uh, that we've been cultivating friendships together. So when I say th our group, that's what I mean. Okay. So that group of of men, it's uh, it's all men um, that we've specifically uh, formed a friendship and a in a community together. And so though that our community is what collided with with your community on that first day, and then the whole week, right? So um, collided. <laughs> yes, collided, and and. It was just really my my first profound revelation for that week was when I think it was you and maybe a couple others just opened up to us about how awesome it was to be to find yourselves in a classroom and in an environment at our homes where you're just welcome to speak your mind. No one's doing like the yes, but and well, actually to your theologies or your perspectives or anything of that nature. And so. Um, overall for the week, my biggest, the biggest blessing for me individually was to see that myself and our group of guys were cultivating this all along. And we just, that week was really our chance for you to show us and tell us that that was true of ourselves, mm. which I had not personally experienced, um, in such a profound, uh, forward facing way. Uh, in my own life. So beautifully said. Jason, do you want to speak to that? Yeah. So in many ways, Justin has been our de facto leader in our group. And he's the one who, who is intentional about getting us together, making sure we're in community, 
keeping us uh, accountable. And so that week when we came together, we got together, class starts Monday morning. Um, we, most of us fly in Sunday evening. Um, and I, we were just excited about the opportunity to see each other face to face. Cause we live all over, really all over the world. We have members all over the world. And so, um, but when we got to class Monday morning, the, the, the guy bus, if you want to call it that, <laughs> the, the boy bus got there first. And, uh, we didn't know that our expectation and anticipation for the class excitement wasn't necessarily uh, matched by all who were attending. And when the girl bus came into the room, <laughs> you or several of you, very figuratively, like it wasn't it wasn't literal, but you could see the weight. It was like you were all carrying heavy backpacks because you were coming in armed and ready to defend yourself. And it was like you were prepared for battle. And our, like it, there was going to be debates and there was going to be anger and there was going to be yelling. And it was so obvious that that's how you were walking into the room. And we were just so not in that mind space, that headspace. And, you know, I, I'm a pastor um, and in New Jersey, I live in New Jersey and I grew up in a fellowship that is egalitarian. Like we didn't have um, barometers for women in ministry and those kinds of things. And so some of that I'm foreign to. Um, and at the same time, I certainly grew up with prejudices and ideas about roles and um but throughout my life and and it's, and partly through northern like a lot of that stuff's eroded away and so when you walked in i just saw a bunch of people i was going to school with um and that i could learn from and um and that I was somewhat scared of. Um, <laughs> just kidding. Um, but but it took about forty minutes for there to be like this awakening of what was happening in the room. Because I think as guys we could see that other people, the, the girls' bus had different. Ex we weren't. We didn't even define it as the girls' bus at that point. But the the women in the room came in with a with a expectation that they were going to have to defend themselves. And so it almost implicitly, we didn't talk about it, but almost implicitly around the room, we started to say, whoa, 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 you don't, you don't have to do that here. We appreciate you. We value you. And we want to hear from you. And the weights just started falling off of your team and your, the members of your bus. Um, and that, and then you approach Justin about the possibility of our groups engaging outside of the classroom that week. We were all in Chicago. Let's share food. And, um, and that led to some of the most uh, special moments of my time at Northern. All right, so let me pause a little bit. I wanna, I wanna hear, I wanna come back to Jason, uh, what you mean by some of my most special moments. Maybe you could share one of those, but let me just um, say you are exactly right. And I wanna hear from Jenny and Karen and Denise, but you are exactly right. We did come in, at least I did come in. Um, and I've always had to walk into a mail room with figuratively speaking, uh, my 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 hands up by my face, ready to be hit like a like in a boxing match, you know. Um, and I remember when I went to get my doctorate, I was the only woman in in the class of twenty six senior pastors. And before I went, I went and interviewed my professor to be and said, "I just need to know: Are men going to walk out of the room when it's my turn to stand up and preach and present?" Um, Am I going to experience, you know, men turning their backs and sitting the opposite direction of where I'm speaking or literally excusing themselves from the room or, you know, I've experienced those things in every setting I've ever been in. And Dr. Hedden Robinson assured me that if it happened, he couldn't assure me that it wouldn't, but if it happened, that person, that man would be kicked out of school, out of his program, which was great. But it still put me in a spot where I was going to have to show up and assess what man was okay with me sitting in that room and what man wasn't. And how was I going to work through that? So that's what comes into the room 
every time I walk into a setting, particularly a ministry setting where men are present. And, and it's an interesting thing to have to navigate within yourself. How do you stay protected? How do you also come forward with the hopes that we can reestablish these these areas where men and women can do things. So it's an interesting, so that's my background of coming in. Um, and so what about, Karen, why don't you start us and just share who you are a little bit. And what, what about coming in and how did that weekend go for you? Week, not weekend. Yes, I am a professional artist. Uh, I have a pastor's heart, but have never really been able to utilize that gift in the church. I have taught uh, women's Bible studies in the past, but always been a part of complementarian spaces and never um, been employed by church to use my gifts before. Um, I did undergrad in biblical text, had a love for the word, um, found myself there in spaces where it was predominantly me and a room full of guys as well. So I had a lot of baggage from that for sure. Um, and just the church spaces that I've been in coming into the room that week. Um, I do remember walking in feeling like my hands were up ready to, I would say, protect myself more than fight right. of just expecting mm. um, punches thrown for sure. Um, I, I think the, probably most defining moment for me was uh, coming to the guy's house for dinner. And it was you, Jason. I remember just you looking and saying that basically you apologized um, on behalf of the big church for the harm that had been done to us after listening to some of our stories. And I remember just trying to hold it together uh, while you were saying that. And I I don't even know if you know this, but I later went to the kitchen and just crumbled on your kitchen floor and sobbed for a while trying to pull myself together. Um, I think it was the first time I felt seen and the first time that anyone other, uh, any man other than my husband saw what had been done and apologized for it um, in a deeply grieving way of you have more to offer the church and I'm so sorry that it's been hindered for this long. So it was incredibly healing moment for me. Thank you, Sharon. Yeah, I am so sorry because I, that, what you just shared, Karen, is what I think the majority of women in complementary spaces could say. And we are carrying around a sack of pain, actually. Um, and the ability for our brothers to redeem for us, um, what I think Jesus intended is just that's what happened that week. So, Jenny, share with us your perspective. Tell us who you are. What do you think? Sure. Um, my name is Jenny. I am a professional fundraiser currently serving at Northern Seminary. Um <laughs> This, I'll say this, before the, stu the student experience at Northern, the church had never been a safe place for me to just be me, all of me. And so what Justin said about, you know, all of us sort of having these heavy backpacks, figuratively heavy backpacks, I, I can, I can just, it just resonates with me because that was so true for me. I, I walked in with an armor that I didn't even realize I had on and sort of in this position of needing to defend the fact that I was even there and didn't even, I didn't even realize that that was happening, but the acknowledgement that that was happening immediately helped to release that armor and to build authentic relationship. And it was the men who acknowledged it. They pointed it out and then created a safe space for us to put it down because it's one thing to point it out. I've had men point it out. They've used terms like you have a chip on your shoulder or those kinds of things. And what they don't realize that Jason did realize is no, this is pain. Right. You can call it baggage, but it's protection. We're protecting ourselves from what we know is not safe. And there aren't, there have not been many spaces that are safe. Um, 
really safe. You might say it's safe, but I mean, really safe. So Denise, share with us a little bit about your experience that week. Sure. Um, I'm Denise. I have served in ministry for about 35 years. Uh, the last eight years, I've actually gotten paid to do it. Uh, so I'm a pastor on staff at my church. Um, but like Jason, I grew up um, in um, mostly egalitarian group. So, I, in fact, I didn't even know these terms existed, uh, complementarian, egalitarian. Um, you know, they um, never stopped us from ministering. We have female preachers, speakers. It doesn't matter um, what group we're speaking to. However, I mean, they did oppress women in different areas, but but the male-female um, was pretty much looked at as equal. I think when I came into this group, the, the weight that I was carrying was a completely different weight. It was, do I belong in this room theologically? Do I belong in this room with these minds? Um, but as I... Yes, yes, you do. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Denise, if I could interrupt for just a second. Yes. It's amazing how many of us all silently hold that fear. Sure. And because we don't share it, we just all think we're the only ones who think it. Sure. And that was the backpack I was carrying. But then I get to know my sisters and I get to know my brothers. And I realize there's this dynamic that I did not have to deal with growing up in the church. And so I got to be on the front row watching this beautiful union, watching my sisters receive healing in those areas. Um, and it was, a, it was a really profound experience for me. Uh, now it's opened my eyes that, uh, that this even exists, the separation even exists, um, which has been beautiful for me because in order to reach more people, I need to be aware of what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And and Jason and Denise, your experiences are, I would say, at least from my 30 years, in, at least in the conservative evangelical world, I would say yours are, are the rare ones, the minority, and the rest of us are really more the majority of the experience. So let's let's back up a little bit. Um Jason, why don't you share with us when you say, you know, was one of your most highlighted times of that week? Okay. Um, so just to clarify what you just said before, Denise, Denise and I, and I'm not trying to cast a theological idea here, but we both come out of Pentecostal backgrounds and traditionally Pentecostal backgrounds are a lot more open to women speaking. That said, um, one of the most harmful things that I've ever, biggest regrets that I ever have in life was that was I was in Bible college and there were past, we were studying pastoral ministry and there was a girl in our class. Uh, we were, we were all in the dorm talking one night and she was talking about her dream to be a pastor. And the question went out, would you attend a church with a, with a woman lead pastor? And I said, no. And I broke her heart. And I carry the guilt of that mistake 26 years later. I've apologized. I've, but like that moment sticks with me. And so when I say I came from a egalitarian, that doesn't mean that we get, we have the key to be it right. Um, and so, yeah, so that's our, that's our background. But for, for me, the special moment, and Karen touched on it, um, I had gone through a period of church hurt and been uh, let go of a, from, I had been fired from a church. I had somebody uh, for, for, for poor reasons, really, it was just that my manager and I, he decided it was time for me to leave. And, but we had somebody say, um, somebody say to us, how can you go on? Who's going to ever fire a pastor? Who's ever going to hire a pastor um, who got fired? Because they're just, they just assume it was a moral failure. Like that's the right. only reason you could get fired from a church. You either stole money or slept around. Right. There's those are the two reasons. The, the, right. It's money or went yeah. or women. Yep. So you got those two things and, and you you hold the scar of one of those two. And she said to my wife and I, on behalf of the body of Christ, I apologize for what's happening. And that resonated with us. And then 
when you guys came over, I believe it was Tuesday night. It was like the second night we were there. Uh, we were there in class. Um, and I was sharing some of my story with the guy bus when you walked in. And, and Jackie, you just immediately started like picking at scabs. You're like, well, what about this? And what about this? <laughs> How do you do this? And it start like I started talking and um, I'm not afraid to get emotional. So, of course, I, I got a little emotional as I'm ha- as is happening right now on this recording. And um, and then Karen started to share and. I felt my heart in her story. And I knew how those words had been a bomb to my heart. And it was time for me to pay that forward. It was, this was an opportunity for me to share the healing, the hurt, the love that someone had shared me. A sister, by the way. A woman. And um, and so I did. I like I didn't know how it would be exp- appreciated or received. Uh, I live, one of the things I live by is uh, I'm responsible for how I respond, not how people receive it. And so like, this was, this was clearly an opportunity of, from the Lord to, to pay forward the love that God had, the grace that God had given me. And so I did that and it was clear that it resonated and it's something I'll take with me. It became the moment Karen became my sister. There was intimacy that week. We shared intimate, vulnerable things. We sat next to each other. We ate dinner together. We broke bread, which I think all kinds of intimacy and incarnational love happens around food. Amen. <laughs> but, um, it, you know, says the fat guy. And, and <laughs> says the woman, I'm not fat. But no, I'm you're not fat. So it's not, it's not about weight, it's about the food. I love the food. Anyway, so in just deep theology, which all of us on this call, most of the listeners could care less about the things we're talking about behind the scenes theologically and even how it plays out in real life in our ministries, right? That's so connecting. So what you described is something intimate. We, I would gather that most of us on this call have been taught that's dangerous, that Opening up intimacy for me to be intimate with Jason or Justin is is dangerous. Um, we have, as I've labeled before, a, a danger romance narrative about male female relationships, and it's the dominant uh, conversation that's out there, and and particularly out there in the conservative evangelical world, in the in the Christian realm. Right, we've got to stay morally safe and that means you can't be intimate i mean you might be in a on a staff meeting with jackie but you can't be vulnerable and intimate you're crossing lines well i think one of the things there jackie is that we've labeled so intimate means sex right Uh, yeah it doesn't well that's that's what we've 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 allowed ourselves to to like allow that word to be defined as uh well if that that's the only way that word works. And that it's wrong. Obviously it's wrong. I don't agree with that, but that's one of the cultural definitions that we've allowed it to be. And so, yeah. I, I also, I'll say something. That so tell me, you go Karen. <laughs> that very first day. Let's let Karen go and then Jenny go. <laughs> that very first day I sat down next to one of the guys who I will not name. Um, but he ended up sharing something in that class that was pretty intimate. And I remember feeling guarded of, as a woman, I feel like I'm always assessing in evangelical spaces. Do they think I'm stupid? Do they think I'm trying to take their power or do they think I'm trying to seduce them? Which, which one is it with this guy and how do I diffuse that in this moment? And so this, student next to me had shared something and I just felt moved by the spirit, put my hand on him, said, thank you so much for sharing. I'm so sorry. Like I'm praying for that. And then the next day, everybody pretty much sat in the same spot, but he didn't sit by me. (laughs) All the girls were texting me because like we all noticed of like, oh, okay, this is a thing. Like you're now not safe. (laughs) Um, And so we, it was like this kind of, yeah, it was kind of the spoken thing of the girls, and they're all laughing, and they're like, "Oh, it's true." Like he. How soon did you know this? <laughs> I haven't shared this with any of the guys, but it got weird 
but I think that moment at your house for dinner did break that. And it was like, okay, it was probably the first time for me collectively a group of men. I was like, we're just brothers and sisters. There's nothing here. Like we can be intimate, whether it's theology or sharing our stories, but I collectively for the first time thought I'm not any of those three things to these guys like that bomb has been diffused. Mm. Yeah, And I think we kind of even said it. I think we knew we knew and we even kind of said it like we put it out there so that we like leveled the ground of like, this is what this is. Now we want to be your friends. We want to have male colleagues in our life and we went right like we did that and and jenny i'm going to come to you i just want to share one time karen i was in a staff meeting when i first started on staff and i was one of the few women in the male staff meeting and this guy mike was sitting next to me and i touch people when i talk i use my hands when i talk you know and so i reached over to touch his arm on the counter and you know when i was saying something and talking to him and then that night i got home and steve says to me baby because steve was in the staff meeting he goes baby you you can't touch men when you talk to them you can't touch mike and i'm like why not and he's like because because men have been taught that that's like a come on or that you're being sexual and i was like are you kidding me so i called mike that night and i got him on the phone in front of my house hey mike steve says when i touched you today in the staff meeting that that meant i was being sexual i just want you to know it wasn't and never ever ever will be so we're good right and he's like, oh, okay, all right, yeah, that's awesome. What an awkward <laughs> moment. So Holy cow. But Mike, Mike had to wire me when I used to preach, which meant go down the back of my shirt to put the wire together. And I was like, we're going to have to get this straight right yeah, from the I mean, beginning. So, Jenny. I think it is helpful to sort of call outside. it out because we've all sort of had these experiences, whether we – acknowledge them or not. I mean, I remember Karen and I laughing about the whole, you know, in complementarian churches where they have that sort of meet and greet time in the service. And it's like, if you're a married woman and not sexually available, like no man will say hi or look into your eyes and say hi. So there's, so there's just, I mean, we sort of joke about it, but it's, it's not funny. So, um, I, I'll, I'll tell the group this because I don't think I've ever told this to you all before. But when we were at the boys' house that Tuesday night sharing and praying together, there was this very specific moment where I looked down at my feet. We had all our shoes off. And I, I looked down at my feet and I just had this sense that we were on holy ground. And I think that that was true. I don't think that that was just a... I think that was the Holy Spirit. Something happened between us that was very much what Christ wants for us and how Christ wants us to interact with each other. And I also said to myself, I wasn't going to bring this up on this podcast, but I'm going to just apologize to you later, Jackie. <laughs> but I think that's that's why when I decided to accept the job at Northern, I was so assaulted by the systemic culture of um, emotional and um, bullying um, by uh, the president. And so when I had this experience of equality and celebration of our differences and our strengths and really feeling for the first time that I belonged and we were, we were siblings. And then I go straight into this um, experience that, is, that was just a complete assault on that. And, and I think that that's why uh, Karen on this call and Justin and everyone on this call has been so vocal about pushing out that culture because uh, it's, this, is not, um, this is not how we are supposed to live in relationship with each other. Yeah, and Jenny, I want to pick up with that, um, and you don't need to apologize. And for those listening, I'll put the article out there so that you can read about what Jenny is mentioning. But... I think when you have experienced this, and I'll call it a mystery, because I think it's mystical when this, because we can't, we're going to, we've shared some stories and how it's helped us and all, but, but you, you touched something here. It was like magic. It was a mystery. I don't believe in magic. I, I believe in mystery. And I think we tapped one of the core tenets of who our God is when we related the way we did. 
and we got to enter into a very thin space. And if you will experience a little Shekinah glory, you know, sometimes you taste a little bit of heaven mm. as it should be on earth. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while you get this taste, right? And we, and, and when you taste that goodness, like nothing else will do. And I've had those, I had that experience at Northern that week. And I actually had it on my staff at, at the church because I kept pushing the brother sister uh, issue and I kept showing what it could look like. And I actually met with one of my senior pastors there years later after my husband and I had left. And he goes, when you and Steve were there, there was something going on. There was a wind blowing through our church. And I said, oh, Brian, that wind was that we learned how to do brother, sister. Mm -hmm. That was the wind. And so you're right when you experience that. And then you get up against something that violates that sacredness you just experienced. You will have it no more. You will fight for this Shekinah glory thing that we yes. experienced. I can't even put accurate words to it, but it was holy. It was holy. I think. Yeah, that's the right word. I think the reason, Jason, I felt uh, safe to share the things I did. I, I don't go around just blurting out that life story anywhere, but there was this um, uh, accelerated by the Holy Spirit, I believe, this accelerated unity in that classroom. It was more than just a class. God was doing something bigger than education that weekend or that week that I think um, is is why all the women felt safe. It was a safe environment. But somebody's mic is clicking. I think it's Jenny's, but I'm not sure. There you go. Um, yeah, again, I think this, we experience something that's unusual, but I think as Jason has pointed out, Justin has pointed out, if you work at creating these spaces, we give the opportunity for the spirit to show up and do what I think the spirit wants to do, which is create these male, female relationships. I want to go back to, I, did y'all grow up thinking that this is what we were supposed to have in your faith communities? Did you grow up? Uh, being told, yeah, jump right in with those men and women and be intimate. Or what did you learn growing up? I would say absolutely not. I don't think it was explicitly taught, but I think the constant message was just make yourself smaller. Um, And the older you get, the harder you've got to try at that to make yourself smaller. And then as you become a teenager, you've got to your sexuality more, not just your voice. And all of these things come into play of just, you're dangerous. You've got to make yourself small so you don't hurt anybody. Was kind of the predominant message. Yep. I know, growing. Yeah, I'd say, um, sorry, go ahead, Denise. That's it. I, I was just raised that, you know, men and women didn't drive alone in the car together. Um, I lived with some missionaries in El Salvador for a while. Uh, if his wife went to do something and I was the only one in the house, he would leave the house. Um, we just were taught, you know, you're not to be alone. If you're going to have a meeting, the door should be open. Um, and all of the things for, for a girl whose father left her mother for another woman, this made sense to me to keep those boundaries. So even though I'm not afraid to have relationships with men, I do keep them in a tight boundary, um, in, in a tight space. Thanks for sharing that, Denise. What about Justin? You were going to add to that? Yeah. So part of my, well, much of my background up until I was 32. So about four years ago, I guess I just aged myself, but, um, for everybody (laughs) listening, (laughs) um, uh, you're a youngin. (laughs) Um, I grew I grew up in in highly uh, patriarchal hierarchical um, church environments. Um, so taught that men are the ones that lead. Uh, we set the tone for the home. We are to uh, provide and be the spiritual leaders. And that was also at the pinnacle of the purity culture movement in the late nineties and early two thousands. And so the messaging about how to get to that point was basically um, you can't be friends with girls or women once you become an adult. Um, 
there has to be uh, a strict separation because at any point one is they're probably going to try to like Karen alluded to seduce you um, or, or conversely as the man, as the man. And this is what really just, um, I mean, it still makes me furious. We're told that we're pigs like that. We're yes. at, by nature. Um, we are voracious uh, pigs. And that it, it, it's an effort, Billy Graham rule or whatever you want to call your rules, aren't because you've worked out some um, good ethic around how you're going to behave around people in general, but that you can't but help yourself um, if, if, you're, if you find yourself in a situation you didn't plan for. And so to live that life, get married in that environment, have you know, 12 years of my marriage be based on that and see it fail, almost completely fail, uh, is the background that I come from. So for the past three to four years, uh, that has changed. Um, my life completely changed around four years ago. And so Northern was a big part of that the last three years. And so showing up to that intensive and and for me, going back to like one of the most profound things for the week wasn't just one moment, but it was the whole moments of having the validation that I'm not that I'm not that man anymore um, because it has been hard. I'm, the community that I used to be in is still right around me. I don't get that um, except from the guys and from the church we go to now. Um, but, uh, you just begin to doubt that, you're, you know, that you're on a good path that you think you are. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's my, my, uh, where I come from on it. So let, let me build off that a little bit and just dig into that just a bit, Justin, like what I think I hear you saying is you've paid a price for changing your views, many views, but but also the view of what it means um, to be male and female in in the faith. Yes, you've lost friends and churches, church relationships, whole communities. Yep, whole communities. Yeah, yeah. I, I met with a man one time who, who who is a pastor of a complementarian church and a network of churches, and. He asked if he could come and spend a week with Steve and I on our vacation. And my husband didn't tell me uh, because he knew I would have said no, hell no. But um, he came. And when he got there, Steve said to me, he's here because he wants to spend the week talking with you about brother-sister relationships, the church, et cetera, et cetera. This was during the pandemic and I was fried and I thought, oh God, why didn't you tell me that I'm going to have to work in my brain for the next week while we're on vacation. <laughs> and um, so, so, I mean, we had some bites, this guy and I, you know, and I knew him well, and he knew me well, and um, we had some bites at night over some things. And when it was all said, done, you know what he said to me? He said, if I change my position on women in the church, I will lose my network of community. I will lose it all, Jackie. And then I realized that's why he couldn't shift. It wasn't because he actually thought it was theologically wrong. He couldn't afford to lose his community. Yeah, it means he already changed. He, he, you you changed him. He just can't commit to it. Can't. Yeah. He, he, he Basically, that's what he was saying. He's saying, I think theologically this is true, but I can't do it. I, he, he didn't have a good dad. He didn't have brothers. And this network... And I will tell you, it's X29 Network is really good at swooping around their senior pastor males, loving them well, pulling them in tight, right? And he's like, I'll lose all that. Just like you described, Justin. Just like you described. Justin, that... Thank you for doing uh, that, Justin. That Tuesday night, I remember us talking outside. There was kind of a group speaking, and you and I spoke for a while off to the side basically about this, how we had both changed our views on men and women. Um, and 
our, my husband and I also lost our community in that process. Um, but it was so hope giving to me to see another man other than my husband come out of that, uh, well, and that it still is deeply encouraging to me to think that it's worth it, um, to other men too. And not just for the women, for you too. Like I'm, totally see what you see on I think patriarchal circles are just as harmful to men as they can be to women um and how they view men and absolutely yeah we're taught we can't we don't have any control of ourselves there are certain things that the only way we can avoid the sin is not to be a man of character is to avoid the situation that that so that we don't have a choice to do right. We will only choose wrong. In many ways, it's the same structures that the Israelites set up around the commandments that they have so many laws to protect them from the commandments. So, you know, I've seen churches where, you know, the front row is off limits. So, eventually the second row becomes off limits because you don't want to put anybody where they could come close to doing something wrong instead of, (laughs) instead of teaching people to be people of character and that our character should reflect the character of Christ. And that, you know, there were, there are situations where I've had to put up boundaries. Um, Me too. And there was a girl in our, in one of our churches who, when she touched my hand, it wasn't to get my attention. And so, like, but that didn't mean that I was just going to sleep with her. It was, okay, Joy. Joy is my wife, by the way, because everybody in my family has a name that starts with J. Um, uh, so, okay, Joy, you need to help me with the situation. Looping her in, making her aware. And being a person of upright character rather than just coming to the idea that, well, the only way to avoid sin is to not allow yourself to be in a situation. Um, and that's, you put a boundary around that woman versus right. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and, and Jackie, I think you and I talked during the week as you shared some of your thoughts on brother and sister. And I said, theoretically, I think, I, I understand what you're saying, but I do think, well, first of all, this was a special group of people. Um, and so we have to teach people not that they're, the results are the decisions they make, but the, it's about the character of the person they have, uh, they are, and the way they reflect Christ's character in their decisions so that they can be open to certain things. And it's not about rules. It's about becoming people who... I know I'm being repetitive, but have the right character. And so as we talked that week, I would say to you, Jackie, I think you're right, but there's got to be some like wisdom involved because this could go wrong too if people, if we just create the opposite Mm -hmm. rule than what we had. Um, And, you know. So, so let's talk about that because that's exactly where I wanted us to end up, which is, yeah, and I agree with you. Um, what I probably would like to argue is that the church sit on the foundation of brother-sister narrative and then add into the windows of that house that we're building a danger uh, romance narrative instead of that being the foundation in which we build our house on. I would like that too. Um, I, I, I think that's right. Mostly because I think it's, Mostly, I gotta put it up there. Mostly because I yeah. think it's no. biblical. You know how we use that. Once you say that word, you can't count it. I just said it's biblical. <laughs> but, but I do recognize. I do recognize. You know, my husband and I have had a lot of conversations because we live out this brother sisterhood, not only in our work life but in our social life. I mean, we have moved single women into our home, and they have lived with us for years and years and years. And um, we've had conversations with them, and we've talked with our kids. And how do we live this out? So we. We live this truth out in every venue of our lives. And we've had to have some conversations of where I will say to Steve, okay, that one woman, I'm not okay with that one. Mm. That one right there for whatever reason is making me nervous. 
and you're too stupid to put up the walls, not because he's a pig, but he's just clueless when it comes to We just to don't get it. I gotta be honest. We don't get no. it. For instance, for instance, we walked into the next class the next morning, and there's there's two segments of the guys bus. Some of us are, we will not sit in the same seat the, same, the next day. But, like, we are totally oblivious to the fact that that might come off like, Oh, you're making a decision that you won't sit by a pro. We had no idea that that was the way it would go across because we're right. clueless. Absolutely. Right. So as, as his wife, I want to say to him, hey, that one we're putting a boundary around. Yeah. And he's done the same for me. And I also want to say, I'm not stupid. I know when I'm attracted to one. Which, by the way, I bump into thousands of people every month. Thousands. All day long. Walking past people, teaching, you know, blah, blah, blah. Rarely. I mean, maybe one in a thousand I might be attracted to. So, like, the other 999 are safe. <laughs> but I, I think... But I, have to be, I have to be honest with myself. Go ahead. I think, uh, you know, what Jason's getting at is this is a Holy Spirit-driven thing. There are times my husband is a good-looking guy. He works out. He's charming. He's got the full package, and he's a leader, which women are drawn to. So when he counsels with yeah. women... He's, he's right there. I mean, he's, I understand. I'm, and sometimes I've seen him at the altar, you know, touching a woman on the back. I understand. You know, and this is very attracting to women. So there are times where my Holy Spirit says, oh, run for the hills. Or there's other times where I say, yes, this, this is true ministry. She's truly receiving it as ministry. But I think we, that's why we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Denise, we just lost you. You the, the very tail end of that. You ended with that's why we need to follow the Holy Spirit. Because every anybody situation, else might add, what, yeah. what does it look like to do this wise thing? Every situation is different. I agree. And I think it's complicated because we've limited so much about what does it mean to be a man and woman in the way that we understand gender in our churches. And so and 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 we and we're afraid. I feel like churches have created people that are afraid instead of acknowledging that we've been given a gift that allows us to live in freedom. So it's just a very complicated issue. Agreed. Agreed. And I think you're right. We've li- oh, sorry. Go ahead, Justin. No, um, there's so many aspects to what. How do you do this now? Like. Even if you change your mind that, you know, women should have equal place in the church when it comes to ministry and things like that, what if you still internalize misogyny and you still internalize patriarchy and you still internalize objectification of people's bodies and you still internalize, um, you know, we could go into all the other isms that you can internalize that play into how you um, think about other people, if you're heterosexual, uh, in my case, another woman. Um, And so, like Jenny said, it's complicated. We have to now navigate, okay, what, what are boundaries? Because that wasn't really a thing before. It was just a set of rules about you don't end up with alone with any woman ever. And then how do you discern, like Denise said, that, oh, this person is actually has intention of an attractiveness here or a pursuit that I, um, I don't want. Um, and those all take time and community, like this conversation is happening, and resources. Um, some of what I had learned in the first couple of years after my, Wendy, my wife, and I's marriage and life started to change and our perspectives changed, is I was learning these new ways to relate to women specifically, but I didn't have like a book or a resource yet. But then I came across uh, Maelstrom, the book by uh, yep. uh, Carolyn Custis James. Carolyn Custis James. And then I read an excellent book by Bell Hooks called The Will to Change Men, Masculinity, and Love. And I mean, if people ask me, what are two books? What are books I can read? I know I just 
rattle them off because I'm like, one is specifically Christian and the other specifically is more of a feminist viewpoint, but it deals with the things we internalize that we're going to carry to egalitarian spaces if we don't tackle those two. Um, And it's still hard. I'll give you a story real quick and then someone else can talk, but we're um, hosting a family right now, um, refugee family in our home. And it's a mother and two kids. And so I am at regular intervals in a room with another woman that's not my wife. I mean, God forbid. And um, (laughs) it's totally fine. Uh, But I still have to think through, like I almost had an, an anxiety or panic attack because Wendy was away. We have a set day we go grocery shopping. So it meant I was going to go grocery shopping with uh, this woman and her baby. And I'm like, I'm in this community still. People are going to see me. I'm grocery shopping with another woman. I had to like sit with myself and be like, you know what? It doesn't matter what other people think. This Uh is what you're doing because it's the right thing to do. And who cares? And let's just go do it. And I did it. And it was awesome. We had a great time. You know, you're with someone who doesn't speak your language. Um, it there was some laughs, there was some frustrations, but um, that was hard. But there's no, I didn't. No one gave me a blueprint. It's just like you just gotta, you do it, and you kind of just work at it. I guess is my point. But um, yeah. Yeah, my husband and I have had to work through that because like he was out of the country when my boards flew in to have a board meeting and my uh, chair, one of my board members is, is a guy and didn't have a place to stay. And we have, we had this big house. And so he stayed with us now also had a housemate and, but the housemate is female. So there he's 70 years old and he's staying with two women and I didn't think twice about it. Right. And he goes, I got to explain to Carol that I'm spending the night at a house with two women. <laughs> But then he and I went out to dinner and, and um, we small community, everybody knows me, you know, and I, Steve and I've talked about that. Like the community is going to think I'm having dinner with another man who's not my husband. And I am, but my husband knows this is a board member that I would go to dinner, whether it was a male or female. And so what, how the society sees it, I'm not doing anything wrong and hopefully even modeling that you can go with your board member to dinner and have a conversation about life and ministry and not go home and have sex. And you know what? We didn't go home and have sex. <laughs> well done. Fancy Jessica. that. Well done. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was so here's my question, Jackie. Here's a question. I'm going to throw this out to you. I know I'm not the host. But does that look different according to the position you hold in your life as far as if you're a pastor or as far as different roles that you play in the church, would that look different? Or do you think it needs to be different? I would not let... I think that depends on each individual person. But for me, when I was on staff at our church, I lived that same rule out. And I asked, my husband and I had a lot of conversations about that. And and he too lived that rule out of being able to go to have dinner, et cetera, et cetera. And part of that was because um, part of my ministry is trying to change this narrative. And so that means I really have to live it. It's part of my ministry. And I am a pastor. That's how people see me as a pastor and preacher, even though right now I'm not serving in a church. That is what people see me as, as a piece, as a pastor and a preacher. And so what I am declaring is by my physical act, just like Justin did going to the store, is that I can do these things. We, as a society, can do these things. Can every person? No, because some people are, you know, at, at sex addicts and some people are, right? Like, or you know, but we can't, if, if, if the idea is, and I, I love this question, Denise, and I'd love to hear other people. If the idea is I can't be even seen acting inappropriate, 
Well, then we could say the same thing about really wealthy CEO men, right? They can never hire or go to dinner with or have lunch with someone because they can't be seen yeah. even. The idea of impropriety can't even be. Isn't it interesting? That's our go-to is to think that there's an impropriety happening rather than to assume it isn't. Yeah, because that's what we hear about. We don't share stories of people acting appropriately. We hear stories of people acting inappropriately. And that's right. A couple things that I hear in what you're saying, Jackie. First, the the level of trust and commu- communication that you have with your husband. And yeah. second, like you don't make these things secret. You go to a restaurant. You're not afraid to go to a restaurant. And, and if someone were there, you're not afraid to say, Hey, this is my friend, Bill. And, uh, you know, would you like to join? Yes. (laughs) And so like you are, you are prepared to show, because the problem is right now, what you're trying to create is something that is so anti-systemic and, and we're like, some of us are in a class at Northern right now. We're talking about, uh, Paul and some of his, uh, responses to, um, difficult situations of his day. And he typically responded to them in here's how I want person A and person B to deal with it. And we want it. We want in this day for us to be able to read Paul's work, work and say, here's how I want the system to work. Because here we want the big picture to be addressed. And Paul was like, here's person A and person B. Here's how you work together. And if everybody can do the person A and person B, you'll... You'll start to create the system, but we want it overnight, and that's not going to work. But if we're afraid to model it, it's never going to work. Can I give an? Can I give a story as an example of someone who wants to create this community but chose to have a boundary that where they didn't weren't alone with someone? Um, it's real quick. Uh, this this person, I won't use their names because it's I I didn't get permission to share this, and I don't. But this pastor, he's a person of color, and he had a situation where a new a woman, but I think it was her first day at church, came up to him, a white woman, and said, you know, I, I want to meet about such and such thing. And he was like, oh, yeah, definitely, like, reach out and we'll plan something. And then it wasn't until after the fact that his own experiences started to say, wait a minute. I, I should probably talk to someone else about this because his experience as a man of color alone in a room with a white woman has been different than mine might be yep. or other people's yep. might be. And so he took some precautions by speaking to a couple other people he trusted. And then in the end did, de- did decide to, I think ultimately do it in a room where there was sound um, privacy, but windows were, um, you know, open to that happening. Um, or there was someone else there, I don't remember. But that was a case where it wasn't about he thought she was going to seduce him. He's a, you know, equality kind of person as far as his perspective. And the farthest thing from, you know, patriarchal uh, uh, presuppositions. But he had experiences that caused him to say, this is not um, the usual situation. Let's um, think about creative ways to do this. Yeah, because because race was also involved. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but that's again but that's I wisdom. Back to Denise, right? That's yeah. wisdom. We're back to Denise saying every situation needs to be evaluated, and mm-hmm. I agree. I just want us to start or consider. I want to educate us to start with a foundation when we build this building that we build it with the with the what I think is the best vision that God has given us, which is the brother-sister. We haven't heard from any of you women uh, about this. There's something going on in your minds, I know, because like you're, because I've hung out with you, your brains are going boom, 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 boom. (laughs) What do you want to say? I think it's pretty difficult. Um, I do recognize like coming out of the spaces that we've been in that I have a lot of um, poor teaching that I'm coming to the table with, but it's, it's hard. It's something that Shane and I wrestle with of how to 
how to live this equality out well, but wisely in such a way. And I do think it's an individual basis. Um, and I think for different reasons, like you sharing that story, Justin, about your pastor friend, I immediately thought, oh yeah, there's probably men that if they asked me to meet one-on-one, I wouldn't want to because I wouldn't feel safe. <laughs> um not necessarily in how I'm being perceived, but like, what am I putting myself in a situation that I could receive harm? And yeah, like, I mean, I've got guys in my head that I'm like, yeah, I'm not spending time alone with that guy. Um, just out of fear that something might happen. <laughs> and, but that's tough. Like, I don't want to automatically think all men are pigs <laughs> and are going to do something but I also want to live wisely and not put myself in situations where if I've got red flags going off, like I need to listen to that and say, okay, let's, let's figure out how to do this wisely and in such a way that keeps everybody safe. So uh, I don't know. It's, it's a hard one. Teaching this idea that men are pigs is what we've done is we've actually let men live below like we've actually like put the bar so low they've yeah. met that low bar like oh they're like oh that must be what we are that's the standard i tells oh, that's the only standard, that's the standard. I, yeah. exactly and yep. i keep going we gotta have a better vision than that i mean that's just not even jesus's vision you I know mean, I think, right so mm-hmm. i think again, there's like a sort of vision and the inherent Jenny, what about you? to this concept i, I mean last I, thought what i mean is the new testament is you know, sort of painting us this picture of community in, in a new way. And it almost has to be this brother-sister relationship because, I mean, how many times were people married? I mean, if we're not going to have sexual relationships with every person that we're with, we may only have it with the the one person that we are committed our lives to, then then what is it? Then the only other option to have authentic community with each other is through this sibling relationship, is through a non-sexual platonic relationship. So it seems, it seems sort of like, like an obvious. Like why didn't I think of this earlier, Jackie? Yes. Thanks for bringing it up. It's now I'm like, this is so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's right there in the scriptures. I didn't bring it up. Jesus did. <laughs> and then Paul talked about it all the time. <laughs> and if you think about how Paul talks about the community, right? Like all the one another's, there's 33 that I know of. They're very intimate moves. They're very intimate ways in, in which you engage someone. You comfort, mm-hmm. you love, you wait, you build, you edify, you encourage. Well, that means we actually need to know each other. We're not we're not saying that that relationship is even distant. We're actually saying it's like what we've described, we experience. Now, are you going to be that with every single person in the community? No, we can't be that way with you know thousands and thousands of people. But it does say that we should have men in our lives in which we have that kind of intimacy with. And I love Jason pointed out that word intimacy is not about sex. Yeah. It's about vulnerability and community. Anybody else? One last thought. We're over. What would you like to, uh, here's my question. This is what I want us to end with. How would you help people get started down this journey? What's the one step they can take to start moving down a journey of asking, what kind of narrative am I going to follow? How do they even come to know this? How do we even get people started on thinking about building the foundation and something different than what we have built it on? I think one way would be to challenge yourself to see everybody as image bearers, whether that's men or women in your life. If they're image bearers and your job as a believer is to uphold that and effectively bring them closer to Christ, then in many ways that dissipates a lot of our fears. (laughs) Um, If we see how they're made and that, yes. If you're actually loving them, uh, you're pushing them in closer relationship with Jesus. And I think that would take care of a lot of this. (laughs) So start with image bearing. Great. Mm -hmm. Justin, you were going to build. 
Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's absolutely right on what Karen just said. And I would just add overall, just generally, unfortunately, and I think Jackie, you alluded to this in the last podcast, or you mentioned something about it. Um, we'd like to be able to move this forward without someone having to experience a crisis or experience something that forces them to rethink this. Unfortunately, most of the time when we change our beliefs, it's it happens to us. It doesn't. It's not something we just like. Oh, I'm going to go read about being egalitarian today and just reconsider <laughs> my entire worldview. Um, so un- unfortunately, it's kind of like there's a patience that those of us who are trying to build this community have to have um, in yeah. in not just going like full bore and like I'm going to change everyone. So if they if you do find yourself in a place where someone's like curious or you want re- resources, I'd love to be able to say, read the Bible, but we see how that, you know, everybody comes away with their own perspective. Um, I mentioned those two books and then, you know, there are podcasts and stuff like yours and, and others that lay this out where it, it actually, you know, through their own hermeneutical lens or interpretation or how they talk about it. Um, give you a perspective you may not have gotten before. So that would be, if someone's honestly curious, I go down the road of giving them tangible resources. Right, and I will list them. The books that you um, have recommended, I also recommend. I will list them, Um, not because I recommend them, but because you said they're worth it. But they are great books, and I'll put them in here so the listeners can find them. Anybody else? You know, I just... How do we move it forward? um, Sorry, Denise, go ahead. Sorry, Jason. Okay. The, um, you know, when you teach your teenager to drive and you tell them whichever way your eyes are looking, that's the direction you're going to go. So that's how the Bible tells us not to be sin focused. If we're so worried about having a relationship with one another that we're going to fall into sin, well, that's exactly the direction we're going to go. But if we remain Christ focused, that's the direction we're going to go and the Holy Spirit is such a powerful force in our life. It, it will lead us and it will guide us into knowing what relationships to have and what what's, which ones to walk away from. That's a good word, yeah. Denise. Good word. And I'll just say real quick, I think it has to be centered around grace. Like there are going to be times where we have to own that this, there are times where it might be messy and, and, we have to learn when to instill guardrails and when to not instill guardrails and um, and that we're not out to offend. We're not out to hurt. We're out to love and um, love in a biblical manner. And so um, like we want things to be done and done right. And as soon as it's wrong, we tend to throw the whole thing out because somebody screwed it up. Right. It's There's going to be times where we, we're human. We're, there's going to be times where yep. we mess up. Uh, but oh, that doesn't wow. mean that okay, the system well, is wrong. Uh, mine it means we have sin. <laughs> now right. I'm feeling stressed out. What am I going to say? Yeah. Um, I love that. Well, I, Jenny, I you get the last word. That a big part of this learning <laughs> has been together. We've we've learned this together. We've we've we all were drawn to <laughs> this school, Northern. I'll say um, because of the faculty and because of the other students who were drawn to it. And so I think that coming into class with us, I would invite whoever wants to join us in the conversation to just jump in and be a part of it with us. Because I think the best way to learn is with each other. I hope you found this conversation hopeful and holy. And I pray you're emboldened to embrace Jesus's best story for you and me. Have a great day. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.